Welcome to So What Else. My name is Caitlin Elliott and I love talking to people. I love hearing people's stories, the big important things they've been through, and also the random stuff. We're going to talk about it all here. This podcast is just me talking with fascinating people so that we can all hear what they have to share with the world. So what else? Hey guys, welcome to this episode of So What Else. This week I have Andrew Everts on here with me and he shares his really incredible story of walking through a gambling addiction. Uh, He was in it for a lot of years and I don't know about you guys, but I've never actually talked with anybody who's been open about a gambling addiction before. So I found this entire conversation to be fascinating and I really think that you will too. Um, There's just so many interesting things to it. Uh, You know, he started dating his now wife, you know, when he was kind of still in the midst of it and there's just so much to it. It's really, really incredible. Um, The other thing I wanted to say, just a quick little disclaimer, Um, It was my first time using some new equipment when I recorded this with Andrew. And so my sound quality is not as good as it usually is. So I promise we'll get that fixed for next time. But we doctored it up as best as we could. Thank you to my brother-in-law, Matthew Carpenter. But stay tuned. Enjoy. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of So What Else? This week, I have Andrew Everts on here with me. Andrew, thanks for coming on the show. Sure. Thanks for having me. So I know Andrew through your wife, Charlotte. So I think you and I have met like once, right? Yeah. I yeah, think I think so. at church. Yeah. So you go to my dad's church. So I, I've met you. I've seen you at least a few times. We've probably met once or twice. But yeah, Charlotte and I go way back. I mean, we have spent many a night with our heads like six inches apart, like at camp or retreats or missions trips. Like we went to the Dominican Republic together. We went to Jamaica. I mean, nice. so many embarrassing stories and like so <laughs> many embarrassing pictures that we would have to dig up. But uh, how did you and Charlotte meet? So we met on Bumble. No way! A success yeah. story! Yeah, we met on Bumble and it's it's kind of crazy how we met because it was like the maximum radius, the 25 mile maximum. That's amazing. And yeah, our first date was... A, a place in the middle and uh we hit it off it was perfect from there oh on. my gosh I love that and then you guys just got married what not that long ago we got married uh two years ago nice. two summers and your wedding was September so beautiful thank you gorgeous I mean yeah. Charlotte does everything like so beautifully she has really good taste yeah she did she you is. were you like a helper in the wedding or did she just kind of take it away and you were like honey whatever you want uh, I had, I think, maybe 1% contribution, <laughs> very little. I think just the music, a couple songs here and there. But, you know, she's so good at organizing things. And she had a vision for the wedding that she just, she ran with it. Totally. I, it's, like, so funny. Like, I remember with our wedding, I would be like, Scott, I want you to be involved. And then I was <laughs> like, I like these bridesmaid dresses. And he was like, oh, I don't love those. And I was like, you don't get to have an opinion. Like, I don't, I didn't mean that. So, like, I wanted you to tell me, like, if you didn't like yeah. this stuff, because this is what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, but what are you going to do? So, anyway, a few months ago, Charlotte texted me and we were chatting, and she mentioned something about you being in recovery from a gambling addiction. Yes. And she was like, you know, he's really open about it. You know what? And I obviously don't know you really at all. And so I hadn't known that at all. And I thought, wow, that was so interesting. And I thought, that could be something that could really help people because personally, I don't feel like people talk about gambling addictions, right? Like if you hear addiction, you automatically kind of assume like drugs or alcohol, 
maybe yeah. like porn. I feel like that's becoming more like common for people to discuss, but like, I don't know that I've ever really heard anybody talk about like a gambling addiction, but you know, when you do just like a very brief Google search, it says that there's like 2 million people in the U S that are addicted to gambling. So I feel like this is something that a lot of people have been touched by and maybe just aren't even really fully aware of like the impact that it can have. For sure. I think now it's, it's, Sadly, I think it's going to be front and center in the years to come because of a lot of legislation in the United mm. States across the country, really, um, that is enabling people to access gambling easily. And, mm. and by easily, you don't have to bet overseas. You, you can just open up an account. Uh, in Jersey, you can do it. Uh, and it's just, it's a very easy thing. When I was doing it, it was, you kind of had to go through a couple of loopholes to do it. Um, in my case, I bet online a lot mm -hmm. and I was betting sports and that was illegal at the time. You had to send money to like a third party um, and you, you would basically place bets through offshore accounts. But now it's scary because now in Jersey, it starts off innocent as FanDuel and okay. DraftKings. And I mean, the, the ads and the media are so aggressive with it that um, if you're not careful, you, you can really get swept up into it. That's interesting. I would love to talk about that later for sure. Like about the DraftKings and FanDuel. Cause I see those ads all the time, like on Hulu when I'm watching my housewives reruns, like those, yeah. those ads are on all the time. Yeah. Um, I also read that gambling addictions are increasing because of COVID because so many for people sure. are like home and like on their computer so much that then they're getting involved in like online gambling stuff that they wouldn't have done before. Definitely. And it's so, the type of addiction that you could hide in the closet. Yeah. No one will know. No one will know. I mean, for me, no one would know I was gambling because I would just be on my phone right. and I'd be looking at these games, just refreshing, seeing who's winning, what's going to happen. No one could really know. That's the thing until my revelations of, Hey guys, I'm broke. Here's yeah. what's been happening kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Like what I was going to say, like drugs or alcohol, yeah. it like, you know, if someone's like drunk all the time, like the people around them eventually pick up on that. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. like you said, on your phone, it's like everyone's on their phone all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, crazy. it's, it's very sneaky. Yeah. So take us back to the very beginning. So like, how does this, how did this start for you? Like at the very, very beginning, how old were you when you were first introduced to gambling? Very, extremely young. Too young, I would say, um, because my parents, they kind of raised my two brothers and I with the a mentality of, all right, we'll give you an inch, but don't don't take a yard kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So my parents, my mom, she worked in the city, so she would buy scratch off tickets. OK. And she would let us scratch it. And she didn't think much of it. Mm -hmm. Um and that was basically my first introduction to gambling. I, I love just scratching the tickets and seeing if there was money to be won. Mm -hmm. And uh, then through the years, uh, through family uh, barbecues, there'd be poker games. There never anything crazy money-wise, but it's just, it was on my radar. And as yeah. I was getting older and older, it was something that I was just like falling in love with. Yeah. 
So, all right. So you were pretty young. Like you were like a kid. It's not like you were like an 18 year old. Yeah. To basic, to like the introduction of gambling. I remember vividly, I was in third grade and there was a a scratch off ticket that won a hundred dollars. And I remember telling my mom at the store, like, since we won, I want to allocate some of this money to X, Y, Z items at the store. And those are memories that you 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 don't forget because it's it's like so vivid. Yeah, you're so young. So, yeah. all right. So you kind of started with like the scratch off, whatever. How did it progress for you? Like, at what point did you kind of like take it further? There's two major turning points. Um, when I was 16 years old, I, I was in high school, sophomore, and. Um, I noticed my teammates on the soccer team, they were doing something really weird at lunch. They were, they had a bunch of folders at the lunch table and they were concealing cards hmm. and uh, they were throwing dollars around under the table. And, and I just curiously asked, what are you guys doing? And they said, we're playing Texas Hold'em. Hmm. And that's a form of poker where you play with two cards. And uh, it was kind of like a craze at the time, 2003 and on. Uh, ESPN was really pushing poker on TV mm. and people were really watching it. Uh, it was getting a lot of media attention. Um, and I was curious, I said, I want to play. So they let me in and it all began from there because it escalated. I was then the main guy to host poker tournaments. Mm. I bought poker chips. I bought the table. My parents were okay with me having people over. And I was always the type of guy that just keep pushing things. I could never be okay with just like losing the $10. I would always rebuy. I'd always look for a way to keep playing. Mm. And it's just like, that was the beginning for me really, because then, I mean, with any addiction, addictions are progressive in their nature. They're, Mm -hmm. they're going to get worse. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the start of it. I was feeling, you know, that, real introduction to gambling, but, um, it didn't get worse until later. All right. So as a kid, like the scratch off things, then like high school, your soccer team. So then it's like poker and stuff like that. Now you guys would be betting like real money. Yeah, for sure. And, and if we, if you didn't have the money, you would just write a tab with somebody you would, you would kind of, you know, have a little piece of paper and say, this person owes me this that person owes me that. And things would get ugly. People, if they weren't paying you, there was some sort of intimidation. Uh, It was never anything too crazy. But at that age, I knew that this is, this is just, this is not the right behavior. But at the same time, I was just so swept up in it that I couldn't really kind of understand the gravity of the situation. So like high school kids, like, how much money do you have? Like, so if, if kids wouldn't have the money, like, what would they do? Like get the tell, would like you go to your parents and be like, Hey, like I bet this and I can't pay. Or like, what would kids do? Um, I think there was a lot of like transferring of Mm -hmm. debt. Like they would say, Oh, I I don't have the money, but John owes me 20. So chase him for that. So it was kind of immature. It was a lot of people wouldn't pay, but when it came down to going to somebody's house, you needed physical cash to right. play. And mm-hmm. I remember for me, I was, I gravitated towards the guys that were really, really willing to up the ante yeah. because for me, $10 was, 
it was fun at the beginning, but I wanted to play for 20. I wanted to play for a hundred. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wanted to feel that, that rush of, of playing for more. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure you are probably, I mean, like you said, you're an athlete, like I'm sure you just like have a naturally like competitive way, you know what I mean? And so this was like, you know, fun. Like, I'm sure it was a rush. Like, tell me about the rush of like winning money. Uh, It's a, it's like a drug high. Yeah. Yeah. When you'd win, you know, I mean, in high school, it's funny because you'd win and then you'd share with your closest buds. Like you'd go to Wendy's and buy like 20 things and nuggets. It's like silly. but Yeah. yeah no, but in high school, that's legit. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it was at the time. It's like, you, you feel, you know, you feel really good. You feel validated. That that's the kind of thing that really fueled my addiction. Yeah. It gave me a sense of like, you're the man, like it yeah. fuels your ego and, and that's a really big part of gambling addiction is, is big shotism ego. Um, because it's like the media will portray the professional poker players. Yeah. They all have six figure watches. Mm-hmm. They have amazing cars. They're selling the dream basically. Yeah. And that's what compulsive gamblers hang on to. They hang on to that dream that one day I'm going to win. And, and that is probably the biggest, uh, misconception and lie that the addiction sells. Wow. So tell me about the lows when you, of when you would lose, like, what did that feel like? Yeah, I would feel it. I mean, I would feel it, um, on a very small scale, uh, in high school when I was losing money and looking for tournaments to play, it was, it was never anything too bad. It was very, I guess, temporary. Like you'd Mm -hmm. feel bad for a couple nights the lows really came when my addiction started progressing. Uh, when I was really cleaning out my bank account, when I was, when I was having, um, jobs that paid more money Yeah. and there was just absolutely no control. Yeah. That's when the lows really started kicking in because you look at yourself in the mirror and say, you made all those bad decisions. Like, who are you? You know, the the self-hate and your self-esteem plummets. So tell me about it progressing for you. So obviously we know, like you said, like the poker in high school, like how did it progress? Well, a big thing too, that I'm now remembering was, um, I noticed that a couple of the guys that were, were betting heavy in, in high school and bragging about wins, uh, were guys that played online. Mm. They were really bragging about the fact that they were building bankrolls online, virtual money. And, um, I asked my mom, I said, mom, can I play as you? Because I'm not 18 yet. Can I just go on as you because you're of legal age? Yeah. And I play online. She said, yeah, sure, you can. You know, but don't don't go crazy. Right. You know, you could put in um, $100 of your money and, and, and we'll, we'll leave it at that. And it was just never going to be that for me because I lost that money really quickly. And then... Um, I was depositing more money and my parents went away on a trip and I knew where my mom kept her checks. I just infiltrated that drawer and I just went check after check after check after check. And um, they arrived from this trip and I I had fallen into a couple thousand dollars worth of debt. Wow! And at that time it was a big deal because I just had like a high school job at a restaurant. Right. So my parents come home from this trip and they're super excited to see us. And 
you know, really excited to talk about the trip. And I'm just in the kitchen. I'm staring at the wall. Oh. And in my head, I'm thinking, somebody please ask me how I'm doing. I need somebody to kind of like get a reaction out of me, so to speak. Yeah. My dad picked up on it right away. He said, you know, what's wrong with you? You look really down and out. And I said, yeah, I, I, I am because here comes the big confession. Yeah. I lost $1,700 of your money. So my parents would flip out. They yeah. would, they would say like, how could you do this to us? Felt, they felt so betrayed. Yeah. You know, so that was just a big night of misery because I just didn't know how to, I didn't know how to deal with that night because I was mad. I was upset and, and irrationally mad yeah. at my parents for being mad at me. Yeah. And that was the crazy thing that night because they had every right to be mad at me because I was in the wrong completely. Right. So that was just a really tough moment because then I, I remember I, I, I threatened suicide that night. Oh. I ran to my kitchen. I grabbed a knife. I said, if I'm gone, then the problem's gone. Oh. And my younger brother was there. He was oh. traumatized. My parents had to call me down. And it's just like, those are the moments that you think about, but they, when you're in active addiction, they kind of disappear. You don't really just, you kind of suppress it. Yeah. But in recovery, it's front and center. Wow. All right. So that was a huge night, obviously. So then what did your parents do like moving forward? Like, were they like, okay, so like no more of this or like, like, how did they, but obviously they were mad, but what did they do moving forward? Well, their immediate reaction at the time was you have to work and you have to pay us all this money back. Okay. My mom said that uh, she was going to be waiting with an open hand for all those paychecks. And I did. Yeah. I, I worked. I paid it all back. So they wanted me to feel the pain. Yeah. And um, I can't really say I felt the pain because I paid it back, but I found myself back in the bed. Mm. Uh, I found ways to make money. And if, so you're doing it secretively. Yeah, yeah. I, anytime I would get a new job, I would kind of hide money and just get back into it mm. and find ways. And there was a lot of mixed signals, too. My father, he was weird about it, too, because when I was winning online, he kind of clapped his hands and said, this is pretty good. You made more money than I did today. So oh. at the time I was confused. I, I, I was yeah. I was thinking like, oh, this I guess this is okay. Um, and then he his friends at work found out that I gambled, and they were all BMW salesmen. They had a heavy game, so they had a couple hundred dollars poker game. So I remember my dad said, "You should play with these guys to see if you're any good." So I went to those games and would lose a couple hundred dollars, and then I would think to myself, wow, this is actually getting worse now. Now it's not $10 yeah. and bad feelings. Now it's a couple hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right. So yeah, that's confusing. Obviously, yeah. like you're like, all right, this is, I think my dad thinks it's cool, but it's bad, <laughs> but what am I doing? Like, and so then you're just getting like tangled in that web. Yeah. That's crazy. So what, all right. So like, how did it keep progressing to you? Oh, so for you, it was mostly all online. Right. Cause like for me, I'm picturing like gambling addiction. Is he like running off to Vegas on the weekends? Like, no, it's like you're in your room on your computer mostly. 
Well, that's actually a perfect segue into the next stage of how things really got worse. Um, so beyond those poker tournaments, that was like the beginning of it. You know, you lose a couple hundred dollars cash. I was underage. I couldn't actually run to the casino yet. Right. Um, so when I turned 21, naturally, I was in college and I didn't even go to class. I just drove to a casino that was closest to my university. I went to Binghamton. Yeah. But I found one near Syracuse. Okay. So I just took birthday money there. I ran there. I mean, drove there and, and yeah. just spent the whole day there and just cleaned my bank account dry. Wow. Just lost everything. And like any you know, the, the down moments of your addiction, you're driving home, you have no money. Yeah. The drive there, you're, you're pumped up because you think you're about to win a lot of money. Yeah. But that's the lie of the addiction. It, it, it kind of, I felt so powerless to it. Basically when the thought would enter my mind, it, it was just like a snap decision. I'm going to get in the car. I'm mm -hmm. going to the bank. I'm going to withdraw cash mm -hmm. and I'm on my way and nothing's going to stop me. So, so that day when you like lost everything, yeah. for example, like you're driving back to your college campus and are you thinking like, I'm never doing this again. Like I got to swear off of this. I'm done. Every time, every time yeah. you're thinking that you're thinking, I, I can't do this. This is horrible. I feel horrible. Yeah, but yeah. all you have to do is just go to bed and you wake up and then your mind tells you, oh, it's okay. That big win is on its way. Just stay in the fight. Yeah. And that's the lie it sells. And that's why I was in it for 14 years, because no one can help me. There was no one that could help me. People tried to help me. My brothers tried to help me. My, my parents tried. They would check in on these little check-ins where they would say, like, how you been with that, with your gambling? Like, nobody really liked to address it because I turned into – a vicious person when it got brought up. Like I, I wasn't easy to talk to. I would kind of dismiss it. Yeah. And I would lie constantly about it. I would say like, Oh, I'm, I'm okay. Everything's under control. But in secret, I would go to libraries. I'd log in and play poker online. I'd play sports bets. I, there were times too in my own house, I'd wait for everybody to go to sleep and I'd crawl downstairs three in the morning fire up the computer, play these quick tournaments, just lose money at a rapid clip and then go back to bed and then just pretend everything's okay the next day. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. Practically speaking, someone like me, I don't know anything about gambling. So like, if you go and you lose all your money, how do you like go back and gamble again if you don't have anything? Well, that's the funny thing. It's, it's the only periods of abstinence that I had was when I was broke. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so I would be broke and miserable and cranky for six months and then I'd get a job. I'd oh, find. Oh yeah. 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 And then after the first day of the job, I'd get a paycheck. And what would my mind say? My mind would say, you want to get back in that fight? Right. And I would acquiesce to that voice every time. There was just no doubt about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. Oh, so all right. So that was going on in college. Bring me through like your college years, like, and beyond, like how bad did it get for you? Yeah. I mean, college, it got worse because uh, a friend of mine innocently asked me, he knew I liked sports. He liked yeah. sports. Uh, and it's funny because I always said like, I would never bet on sports because I don't have control. 
Mm. You think you have control because when I played poker, I said, I could feel these cards. I could see this person's body language. Mm -hmm. I will never bet on sports. I always said it Mm -hmm. until this one afternoon, my friend said, listen, I'm going $50 on this sports betting account. Do you want to go in half and half with me? Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, sure. Let's try it out. And that was the biggest turning point in my addiction. Oh, really? That was 2009. Um, That was year six. And that was basically every paycheck was going to this. It wasn't just like, I'm going to deplete my bank. It was, I'm going to throw everything at this Mm. because you're constantly chasing your losses. And like I say now in meetings, it's like a CVS receipt in your mind of debt. Yeah. You're thinking about this loss. You're thinking about the guy that missed the shot with two seconds left and he was right by the rim oh. and you're crushed by it. And you yeah. all that stuff wears on you mentally. And um, when I got involved with sports gambling, that was for me the worst because it was large sums of money that I was betting. Mm-hmm. The, the, the bets were increasing in amount mm. and just the depression the, uh, you know, the, just the horrible feelings, the horrible way I felt about myself was only getting amplified, uh, by the day. So did, were people around you? Like, I know you said that your parents and your brothers would check in on you, but like, I'm thinking like in college, like your roommates or things like that, were people ever like, are you okay? Like, they had no idea. Again, uh, my roommates were my two brothers. We had our own house in Binghamton and I just bet in secret. Wow. They had no idea. Everybody would have no idea until yeah. they did have an idea until I would say, guys, this is what's been going on in my world. I need help. Yeah. 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 And I, I went to my parents, uh, one summer of just, just awful, awful binges. And yeah. I I just, I remember the day, like it's yesterday, it was August 31st, 2010. I went to my parents' room. I said, I need help. I can't do this anymore. Like, what can you guys, you know, drum up for me? And the craziest thing about this addiction is that no one can help you unless they're in recovery. Mm. And my brothers didn't know how to help me. My parents didn't know. They wanted me to, to be better. They wanted me to get the help. So they just suggested that I go to a meeting and there was so much at the time in my head that I I remember saying it to my parents. I said, I'm not like them. Mm. I hate that this day has arrived that I have to be associated with them and them is people in recovery. Mm -hmm. But my parents, uh, they said, look, you have to, you have to call 1-800-GAMBLER and you have to find a meeting because we just don't know how to help you. You just keep betraying us over and over. You're, you're hurting yourself, you know, call the, call the hotline. And I remember calling it at work and just like so many emotions were going through my head, just fear, shame, guilt, you know, yeah. you know I probably felt it that day, but they directed me to a meeting. I was 23 years old. I went to the meeting. I cried my eyes out. I let them know that my life is out of control. I don't know what to do. I need help. I'm here seeking help. Mm. And uh, the members were great. They rallied around me. They said, it's going to be okay. You know, you just have to stick with this program. Um, And I was leaving the meeting. I said, I don't know how to continue with this program because I have my 
senior year in college, I have to finish college. There's no two ways about it. Mm-hmm. They said, well, you have to find a meeting in Binghamton. Mm-hmm. In my head, I remember thinking that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. How quickly the addiction wrapped its, its grip on me again. Wow. Yeah. So what happened, I remember vividly, I experienced three months of sobriety, uh, you know, just uh, abstinence because I had no funds to gamble. Okay. And all of a sudden I get uh, an email from a friend of mine in my accounting class. And he said, Andrew, you won. I said, what did I win? He said, you got selected to win an accounting textbook. Uh, Oh, you're so lucky or whatever. So the first thing that entered my mind was I'm going to sell this book and I'm going to place a bet because I haven't bet in a while. So I did just that. I sold the book. And I remember driving to, at the time it was, you put money into Western Union and you Mm -hmm. could fund an account through Western Union. They would then throw the money to a third party. Okay. I remember it was near my mom's birthday and thinking to myself, you know, you could buy your mom a gift with this money instead of gambling it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just, I couldn't do it. I just went right to the bed and that was just the slippery slope. That was all I needed because then the meetings were completely off my radar. No one asked me about meetings. No one, I didn't care about meetings. And then graduation money came in. Then I got a job, accumulated more money, and then was just, again, the vicious cycle of just blowing every paycheck. All right. Wow. All right. So when you first went to that first meeting, You were like still in college at that time. You had hit a real low, like you must've what you lost all your money and were just like, I hate myself. Like I got to stop doing this. And so you went to a meeting and I'm sure you went to that meeting intending on like really getting better. I did. I mean, I, I enjoyed the meeting because it was an anniversary meeting. I remember there was a guy celebrating, I think over 20 years and it's emotional because He's sharing his triumphs of how he's built his life from the ashes. Yeah. And you feel good in the moment, but the reality, even today in recovery, you go to a meeting for an hour and a half, but once you leave those four walls, you're vulnerable if you're not working the program, if you're not calling people, if you're not uh, putting another meeting on your calendar, you're in trouble because if you look at the media, like you said, on your Hulu, there's all these ads mm-hmm. to a person like me, that is all I need mm. to just jump back into that world. Yeah. All right. So you had the, the, you went to the meeting, then you fell back into it. And then what happened after that? So from there, um, it was seven years of just awful gambling mm. and uh, just escalation in, in my emotions too. Um, I didn't know how to channel the highs and the lows. Cause I remember there was a night that I, I hit a, a pretty big bet mm-hmm. and no one could know about this. Mm. So I remember how silly this sounds, but I had all this energy that I had to do something. So I just started like vacuuming my house at like 1130 at night. <laughs> Cause you're just like excited. And you're like, yeah, I just you? felt like, so yeah. like over the moon excited that I won and that I was quote unquote onto something that I could keep this momentum going that I could some way, somehow keep things going and, and, and win more money. 
And then the flip side of that is the losses were just my, my mood changed. Mm-hmm. I was very short with people. If, if, um, family members would try to ask me innocent questions, even non non gambling related, I would snap at them. Mm-hmm. I was just unpredictable, erratic behavior, uh, drinking too to cope with some of the losses i remember one bet loss so i said i'm just gonna drink as much as i can and see where this night goes Mm. and just i was just a complete mess there was no direction to my life i was kind of i remember just kind of going through the motions of all things whether it was work relationships Mm -hmm. um friendships Mm -hmm. uh it was just very I didn't take anything really seriously. How were you able to pay for like your rent or like a car payment or like, did you get into trouble with that stuff? That's a great question. (laughs) Through enablers. Unfortunately, my parents were uh, enablers Mm. Um, and we're, we're a Spanish family, Latin American. Both of my parents are from Chile and you know, I don't know. For me, Spanish families, they never want you to leave the house. <laughs> like, you're okay. If you live there till you're into your 30s, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was kind of the thing. In my gambling, I always, I remember laying in bed at night thinking, well, things aren't that bad. There's mm. food in the fridge. Yeah, yeah, I just took a hit of XYZ dollar of my own, but I still have this car that mom and dad are paying for. Yes. I still have this nice warm bed. I hadn't hit bottom yet. Right. So I knew that I could keep betraying my parents as horrible as that sounds, but that's what I was, that was my MO was just to keep, keep doing it because they hadn't kicked me out. They would threaten to kick me out, but it would never come about. Yeah, no, that's so true because it's like, it's not like you actually like were homeless, right? Like, or couldn't get to your job because your car got repossessed or something. It's like you were able to keep things that you needed to function. And that's also probably how you flew under the radar so well, because from the outside, no one would be like, oh, whoa, like what's going on over there? Like he's like getting his car repossessed or whatever. Like, obviously there's a problem. Like from the outside, you probably looked like you were totally fine. Oh yeah, for sure. And I would kind of sell that image to girlfriends. I would kind of say like, everything's okay. Uh, You know, uh, like everything is all well and good in my life. I kind of sold this, this illusion. Um, But to kind of go back to my parents, my, my father, both of his parents were compulsive gamblers. Oh, and um, they grew up in, in, in Chile and they were both running to the casino. They, they threw everything at horses. And, and my father grew up in a very horrible addiction riddled atmosphere. Mm. Um, and for him, his worst nightmare was to have a son that would have this addiction, this mm. addiction to gambling. He despised gambling because his parents never had money. Yeah. So that would kind of dig the knife deeper into my father's back. Every time I would say, dad, here I am again with Mm -hmm. no money. He just felt so betrayed because here I was just, you know, he would try to put me in a position to succeed. He put us, you know, he paid our way through college. He, he, he was basically the American dream. He, he came to this country with very little money, but found a way to build a good living. 
Yeah. So it was especially tough on my dad through the years. He just felt so betrayed time and time mm-hmm. again when I would confess that I was just weak time and time again. Now, did your brothers ever get into gambling or anything like that or no? My older brother would play, but he was just, he never liked it because I always would tell him, you're not doing the right things. Like I would try to coach him because I thought I was the best. Yeah, yeah. And then my younger brother, I really tried to get him into it. He would play with me a lot, but thank God he never got addicted. He always knew it was bad. He would kind of go along for the ride. Anytime I would say, Alex, do you want to go to Atlantic City? He would go with me just to spend brother time. But for me, it was like, I want you to play with me because this is, I'm, I'm in my element. I'm having so much fun when I'm doing this. Yeah. So do you feel like, you know, now that you've been through this program and all this work, you've done a lot of work with addiction. Do you feel like, you know, there are just certain personalities that are just like more prone to that? Or do you think that it's more of like a situational thing? It's a combination of both, I would say, because if you're caught under the wrong circumstances and this becomes something that you fall more and more in love with, mm-hmm. you never think you have a problem. Yeah. So for 14 years, I could tell you, honestly, in my active addiction, I never thought I had a problem. Mm. My mind would rationalize everything. It would say, although I did feel horrible at, you know, losing money, my mind would always find a way to say, don't worry, something's going to come about. You yeah. will get that dream. And that's what kept me in that horrible state of just staying in it. When you were actively in it, would could you identify other people that you were like, that guy has a problem. I'm not like him. <laughs> yeah, that was my first meeting. Oh, okay. I yeah. said in my yeah. head, well, I, I, I couldn't identify with, with the members. I yeah. said, that guy got a divorce. Yeah. I, that hasn't happened to me. That guy lost his house. I still have a house. Yeah, yeah. But what we say to members that come in now is we say all your yes will turn to yeses mm. if you stay out there. We try, we try so hard to get that message across, but sometimes you have to feel real pain to yeah. surrender. And I hadn't, I could honestly say, I hadn't really felt that pain. I felt a lot of moments where I felt self-hate, mm-hmm. but was I homeless? No. Right. Was my car gone? No. So I, that's why I just keep at it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I imagine what, what takes a lot of people out of it is just like they legitimately reach rock bottom to the point where like, there is no more money. Like they don't have a house. They don't have a car. They don't have a family. They have nothing they can sell. They have no one they can ask for money and they have nothing left. But for you, you still had like a good job and like a family that was helping you out and things that you needed. So it's kind of like hard for you to hit rock bottom yeah, and feel like you need to get out, you know? So when did you hit that rock bottom? When, what, when did you get to that point when you're like, I got to go back and get help. When I got my best job. Okay. Okay. So I, um, I, I got a job at BMW selling cars Whoa. and, um, I was doing great at the beginning. My, my bosses believed in me. They really saw something and I kind of hit my stride right away. And, um, I was dating Charlotte and I was pretty front and center with Charlotte. Um, I would say a couple months into our relationship, I said, uh, 
I want you to know that I, I've had issues with gambling. And um, she was taken aback, but it didn't really force her to run away. But in my mind, I wanted her to run. I didn't want anybody to love me, basically. Oh. I, I um, Throughout my years in addiction, I, I would always say it to my parents, marriage is nothing. It's nothing to me. I'm going to be alone. And when I met Charlotte, I let her know, like, this is a problem. And she had moments where she had to go through very difficult moments. I could get into that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to the whole car business, I, I came into some pretty good money. Mm-hmm. And the worst possible thing happened to me where I owed one of these internet accounts through a loophole that I found with the bank where if you like double click something, you get extra money. Mm-hmm. And this internet gambling site, they didn't forget it. They saw what I did and they said, this is wrong. So they emailed me and they said, by the way, you still owe us $500. Mm. Um, But they kind of did it tongue in cheek because they said, we're willing to give you 500 bonus dollars if you deposit. Mm. So that's that's the whole, that's what's getting everybody now, all the COVID people, all the pre-COVID people. They're getting lured in by these bonuses, these risk-free plays. Yeah. So I remember telling Charlotte, I said, I got, I just got this job. I don't want to shell out the bonus that I just made on this car. Um, I'm willing to um, get their bonus money. In my head, I was thinking this, but I didn't tell her. Yeah. Because uh, I wanted to clear that $500 debt. Yeah. Um, but she told me, she said, Andrew... You, you have to clear this debt with your own money and, and, and call it a day yeah, and yeah. be done with it. And I didn't do that though. I went home that night, I put the 500 and then I put, I think a, a heavy paycheck in. Okay. And one of the biggest not yet's came to fruition because then I opened up a credit card. Oh. I've never done that. Mm. And I lost all my money from that job. Um, I was in debt and in that moment, you feel so alone. You feel like you need somebody to help you. You need somebody to release that, that burden that you're, you have on your shoulders. Yeah. And I called Charlotte. I said, I have to talk to you about something. And she's like, what is it? I said, I've, I lost every last dollar of what I've earned at BMW and she's devastated. Yeah. And I'm not, I mean, I said, I get very defensive. Mm. I say, this is my money. We're not even married. And this is the addict speaking because this, I don't want help. I don't, you know, I want to stay in this for life. Yeah. And she says, well, listen, you have a lot of things in my apartment. If you don't find a meeting, all those things will be gone. So that's when I knew things were serious. No one had ever really put such a threat into my world. Yeah. Um, so I knew things were serious. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'll find a meeting. And she said, but we're not done here. She's like, I'm going to take full control of the, of your bank account. Oh, I'm wow. going to go with you to the bank and we're going to make sure that you can't do anything. Because when I was in active addiction, I was opening private bank accounts. Mm-hmm. That my parents couldn't check the mail for, I did everything in secret. Yeah. So Charlotte came in 
and basically devised a plan to get me better. Mm. And I remember fighting her on it, though, because I was at work six o'clock. She said, I found you a meeting. It's ironically the first meeting that you went to seven years ago. That's weird. So I'm thinking, I just don't, I don't, I I don't want to do this. I just, I'm better than this. All these lies were into my mind. Yeah. And she said, you have to make this meeting. If not, we're done. And I went there and I cried. I, the whole repetition of seven years prior. And I felt that level of camaraderie. People were really telling me like, this is okay that you're here. Like you're going to, this is like, if you really take to this program, your life is going to turn around. Mm -hmm. I didn't believe it. I mean, in the parking lot, people were laughing, hugging. In my mind, I said, this is not what compulsive gambling is like. Everybody should be upset right now. Yeah. Why are there Mercedes, BMW? How are these people successful? I was so, I couldn't (laughs) believe that, there was actually a light at the end of the tunnel, but those were the success stories. Those were the guys that stayed in the program and able to turn their life around. Um, So I, I I remember I was going strong. Mm -hmm. I I, I went to five meetings Mm -hmm. and then I'm at work and we had a a wedding uh, to attend in Arizona, Charlotte's Mm -hmm. friend. And my boss gave me $800 cash mm. and cash to a compulsive gambler is it's like bullets to a gun. Like you can't, yeah. it's not good. Uh, we were in a rush. Mm. Uh, I took the money with me. I didn't really say anything about it. Uh, I put it in the safe, had intention of leaving it there. I had members texting me, hope your trip is good. You know, stay in touch with us <sighs> Four nights, strong, very good fifth night. Charlotte, the night before, said, uh, by the way, tomorrow you're free. You know, you could do whatever you want. I have to do hair. Uh, so you you could go to the pool. You could find something to do. That night, I said, yeah. I have all this cash <sighs> in the bank. I have a plan. Yeah. I'm going to take that rental car. And I know there's a casino here somewhere because I was doing the research on them. Oh. And uh, I took the car and went. And this is where I would say this was a, a turning point in my spiritual uh, health. Yeah. I sat down at the table. I lost half of the money. Oh. And I believe that God said, get up and leave. Mm. You can't be here. You don't belong here. I picked up. I never did this ever. I would always play till I lost everything. Yeah. I grabbed whatever remaining money was there in chips. I got the cash for it. And then I had to get back because Charlotte, of course, was going to be like, where are you? What's going on? Right. I had to pick up a couple things for her at the grocery store. And I think I made like a couple of panic bets where I bought like scratch offs. Like, Uh, yeah, yeah. Like the last one, that was my very last bet. That was May 28th, 2017. Wow. Yeah. That was in Arizona. But that night was just horrible because my phone uh, was blowing up with members. They're like, why aren't you answering? Uh, You shouldn't ignore people when they reach out. I know they wanted some sort of accountability because they all warned me. They said, you're going to a place that has casinos. Yeah. They didn't know about the $800. They didn't know how that, that was like a perfect storm. Yeah, seriously. 
because I mean, Charlotte at that point was in full control of my finances. Um, so at this wedding, I had to tell Char, I couldn't keep it in. And she said, why are you so moody at this wedding? You know, we should be having a good time. Yeah, yeah. I said, let me tell you something. Those meetings I've been going to, those people can't do anything for me. Oh. And she said, why are you saying this? I, I said, because I don't need them. I know better than them. I just, all sorts of bravado. Yeah, yeah. And she said, Andrew, is there something you have to tell me? Mm. I said, yeah, there is. I gambled today. And she was just like, all right, we're not going to talk about this now. Yeah. We have to address this at some point. Yeah. So the wedding went on and that was a very close encounter with suicide. I had that night because her friend asked us to bring back something to her hotel room. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were, I think, on the third floor. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking over. And the thought crossed my mind and said, like, you should just jump. And I thank God I didn't because when I got back to Jersey, I, I told my sponsor I gambled. Mm. And he said, well, you have to talk about it at the meeting tonight. Mm. I talked about it. It was so tough to talk about. But that was the first day of the rest of my life because then everything turned to good. That was like the last bad day I ever experienced. And um, I'm just so blessed that I'm in this program. I have moments now. I'm, I'm four years clean. Mm -hmm. I have moments where I just thank God that I'm okay, that I got out of it. That's incredible. All right. So the last time you ever gambled was that time in Arizona. Yeah. May 28th. And... I mean, it's crazy to me because it's like, it's such a perfect picture of how strong addiction can be. Because like at that point, like you said, you were going to meetings, you had a sponsor, people were texting you, your girlfriend was in charge of your finances. Like it, it almost seems like, oh, like he's totally protected. Like how could you fall back into it? But it just shows how strong an addiction can be. It's like someone handed you cash and you were just like, I, I have to, I have to go. Yeah. The thing is now things are different because I remember there was a moment clean. Mm -hmm. I think I was about a year and a half clean. Yeah. And uh, I had to buy Charlotte's ring and I had a substantial amount of cash in my hand. And as an addict, your mind will race. I mean, just because I go to meetings doesn't mean I'm, I'm cured from it. But the first thought when I had this cash in my pocket was just go and escape. Just take it all, go to Atlantic City, go have a go have a day that you deserve. Yeah. Those were the thoughts that were percolating in my mind. But I called my sponsor. I said, I have to be honest with you. I feel this way right now. Yeah. I have this money in my hand. He said, Listen, what you have to do today is you have to go buy that ring and you have to call me back after you do it. And I did just that. Mm-hmm. And when I was inactive addiction anytime that thought entered I was defeated 99.9 percent of the time mm-hmm. you know so that that shows how powerful this group is this fellowship that I'm a part of I have people that care about me I have people that check in if I don't go to a meeting I'm getting a couple texts I'm getting the business from members to say where are you yeah you know, like how have you been because 
addicts isolate. Yeah. When you isolate, you all, who are you listening to? Right. You're listening to an addict. So if you're not talking to a sponsor, if you're not hearing the new guys come in and share the pain, if you're not hearing the wisdom from the older members, you're extremely vulnerable. Mm. Wow. So how often do you go to meetings? Well, I go to a meeting every Monday night. Okay. That's my anchor meeting I, mm. because I have so much love for the room because I've held tr trusted servant uh, positions. I've been a secretary. I've been in leadership roles where I'd open the room, I'd close the room. Mm. Um, and there's just a lot of members that I identify with and mm -hmm. they, they identify with my therapies and we grow together. We help each other out mm -hmm. through life. And uh, like the program says, you know, dealing with life on life's terms, now that I'm in recovery, when things come up in life, whether it's a fight with uh, somebody, an argument, um, yeah. whatever it is, I know today I can't run to the bed yeah. to cope with life because that's what I did when I was in active addiction. When calculus was hard, I'd yeah. run to the bed. When... I didn't feel like going to class. I'd run to the bed. Every conflict and thing that laziness, I was sold a dream and I, I was sold a lie that I would be this poker pro or this millionaire sports better. And it's just, it's so awful. Wow. I mean, that's really powerful about your story in Arizona, how you said like you usually would always like go until you were out of money and you felt like God like stopped you in that moment. I think that that's like crazy powerful. And also, I just think it's so powerful that Charlotte was only your girlfriend. Like she didn't have to stay with you. You know what I mean? And like, she was like, I'm going to help you like get out of this. You know what I mean? And like, I think that that's really, that speaks so much to your relationship that you guys have. For sure. It is the foundation of our relationship. Anytime I get upset at her or if we fight, you know, yeah. different arguments that couples have, yeah, I that is basically the center point. I think this person saved my life. Mm. But how could I be mad at her? Because that is she had the courage to step up for this challenge. And it's it's scary. I mean, most people that I would tell like, hey, I have issues with gambling. That's a huge red flag. Nobody, a significant other doesn't want to undertake that that battle and for Charlotte, I mean, to kind of go into her tough moments with me, pretty much she was seeing that she saw it little by little that I had a serious problem. Right. So when I told her on the phone that I've had problems with gambling, I might have downplayed it. I think right. I said I've had issues with gambling. So I kind of left it at that. Right. But um, we went with her. Uh, a couple of her friends and we went to a nightclub mm -hmm. at a casino mm -hmm. and I was, I didn't have gambling on my radar mm -hmm. oddly enough. Uh, but I stepped away for a second, I think to go to the bathroom and then out of the corner of my eye in the nightclub, mm -hmm. they had a separate room with a roulette wheel. Mm -hmm. So I think I had like $10 on me and I would always bet birthdays like mine, my brother's, whatever. So I bet my brother's birthday five bucks and it hit. And Char was like, where have you been these last 20 minutes? And I come back with a bunch of poker chips or whatever chips that were worth money. I said, look, yeah. look what happened. I got us a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. 
And she said, that's not okay. And I said, what? Mm. I couldn't believe that. I mean, I played this little game with everybody in the past, parents, brothers, prior girlfriends, and they would all just go with it. They would yeah. triumph. They'd be happy. Hey, yeah, happy, but Charlotte put her foot down and wow. said, this is not okay. And this is not going to be okay. But with that, I, in my head, I couldn't let it go. I had to find moments where I could do it behind her back. Mm. And she felt that a couple times. We went um, to New Orleans for, I think it was her 30th at the time. Mm -hmm. And I had in place a bet, but I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I was still, quote unquote, in active addiction. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeking out the casinos she asked me to get her a starbucks coffee and the gps took me to a starbucks in a casino five minutes away so i remember just going losing a hundred bucks and then running back with the coffee so as to conceal you know that what i was doing yeah and then these these moments would come out where i would tell her like i want to do this i i did it earlier and you you can't stop me from doing this. Mm-hmm. And we would get into these arguments and I would really try to push it on her. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was when it really escalated at BMW. That was that last time that I did it heavy behind her back. Yeah. Um, because I, I just, I didn't care about losing her. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I had no respect for money, mm-hmm. myself, nothing. Yeah. It's like nothing mattered at the time. Mm-hmm. If you had stayed in your active addiction, how do you think your life would be different today? I mean, that sounds obvious, but like what specific things do you feel like you have now that you wouldn't be able to have? So if if I stayed in it, uh, we have a very, very uh, tough three doors that we, 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 present to people that think that gambling is okay. We, We say that behind door number one is prison. Behind door number two is insanity. And behind door number three is death. Mm. So I know for a fact that my life was heading in one of those three directions. Mm. Um, I I lost a friend to gambling. I don't know where he is. He didn't pass away or anything, but um, he entered the insanity door. Uh, he, He won a substantial amount of money by chance. And then in turn lost everything. And if that wasn't a sign enough, um, he stayed at my parents' house at the time. And that voice in my head was saying, this will be you Mm. if you keep doing what you're doing. And we had to admit him to a mental institution because he was just so far gone mentally. And uh, that's tough. I think about him a lot because... um, he, he tried to get me into Christianity. He was a Christian. His mm. father was a pastor as well. Um, but I reached out to his sister recently and she said that we don't know his whereabouts. Like he's kind of estranged from the family. And it's tough because here I am with this amount of recovery under my belt and he's yeah. just, he's nowhere to be found. So that's, that's, that's a really tough one for me. And, and I've seen the death aspect of it too. I lost a friend. A month ago, he was coming to GA regularly Mm. and then went off to California to a rehab. He was multi-addicted. He struggled Mm. with a heroin addiction as well. Mm. But he came to say his goodbyes uh, 
to us. He came in, in April and was so excited to be back in, in the New York, New Jersey area. He came to three meetings. Mm -hmm. And then I went to a meeting uh, a couple weeks ago and got the horrible news that he had passed. Oh. He had overdosed. And it was just devastating. I cried the whole meeting. It was just oh. so horrible. It's just, I feel for his family and I, mm -hmm. I was gutted. And that's the thing with this program is you, it's so tough at times. Like you, you revel in people's successes, mm -hmm. but you see the ugly side of addiction when they, when people aren't ready, mm -hmm. they either, you never see them again mm -hmm. or they pass away or they go to jail. It's, it's, mm -hmm. just, um, it's so awful. Tell me a little bit about the program. So I know you have a sponsor. Do you still have a sponsor, even though you're four years? I do. Yeah. I was actually at his, uh, 22 year meeting last week. Um, wow. yeah, he's a great guy. He stepped up to the plate and took me as a sponsee. Mm -hmm. And, um, he was just so nice at the time because he said, listen, I want to help your parents understand what they're dealing with because mm -hmm. they might not really know who you are. Yeah. And most people don't really know how much I suffered Mm. Although things were on the surface, they looked good. I went to college. I got a degree. I would have jobs. Mm -hmm. I was generally happy. But I mean, how many times can you have suicidal thoughts? I mean, that is yeah. it's like you're walking the plank in a way. Mm. And um, my sponsor was nice enough. Uh, I would say it was three months into my recovery. He mm -hmm. came over with his wife and shared his story. Mm. And um, it was really a point of inspiration for everybody involved, for my parents. Charlotte was there at the time, so Charlotte mm. could talk to his wife and gain yeah. insight. Mm -hmm. Because there's also a, a byproduct program uh, associated with uh, Gamblers Anonymous. It's called Gammonon. Okay. And it's for anybody who's been affected by gambling, whether it's spouses, daughters, brothers, they can go there and talk and relate to people and get the healing that they need, because I'm sure that, you know, there, there was a lot of damage endured. My brothers felt some pain. Of course, my younger brother with that incident I had. Yeah. In the kitchen. Um, but yeah, this, this program is, it's a miracle. It's really a gift from God because it saves people's lives. It, yeah. it's wow. That's amazing. So we kind of touched on this before, but I want to come back to it. Do you feel like gambling is automatically dangerous for everyone? Like someone who's listening to this and they're like, well, like whatever. I go to a guy's poker night once a month. That's like not a big deal. Or like I buy lotto tickets, but it's not that big of a deal. Or fantasy football. Like I, I love my fantasy football every year, you know, like, and people are like, okay, but like, I'm not going to get addicted. Like, do you think that it's dangerous for everyone? Like, what's your take on that? It's hard to say, really. I mean, the rooms and the meetings that I've been to, people will talk about, like, for example, my, in my family, my dad used to always ask me, Andrew, how come I can go with your mom to a casino? We could throw $20 at a machine, but we'll go eat a steak, we'll have a meal, and then we'll go home. Mm -hmm. How come we can do that and you can't? Yeah. I guess... The answer is because I'm sick. I'm a compulsive gambler. It was just something that consumed my everyday world. Mm -hmm. um, I would say to those people, a word of caution is anything can get worse. Yeah. And that's to me why I just, 
I wouldn't encourage anybody, even casually. I mean, some people don't consider the lotto gambling. Like mm -hmm. I, there are members that have talked about how they used to drop a dollar or two and they didn't consider that gambling, but the, the program is steadfast on the rules and that is gambling. Yeah. And I mean, to go back to my friend, my friend went to a casino with the intention of winning a PlayStation with, I think he went with $40 and then he ended up walking out with six figures. But, but in turn, it turned out to be the turning point in his life to the worst days ahead because he lost all that money. Um, and then he lost his parents. He was kicked out of his house and he turned to drugs to cope. So that's, that's why even just telling the casual lotto player that plays a dollar, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Because if you do come into some crazy money, what is your life going to be? Yeah. It's kind of a scary thought. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you say to someone who's listening to this and maybe is thinking like, oh, I think that I might have a problem or maybe I know someone that maybe has a problem and we've never really acknowledged this before. Like, what would you say to them? I would say to the person that thinks they might have a problem to, to go to a meeting, mm -hmm. to evaluate if they think they have a problem, because what happens is at a meeting, if you're a first timer, you get hit with 20 questions. Mm -hmm. And those 20 questions put you in a position to assess if you really have a problem. Okay. But to the second part of your question, if, if you think somebody has a gambling problem and if, mm -hmm. I mean, it's so hard with the, the concealer types, the people that are closet gamblers, it's so hard to really know if they do have a problem. But if somebody comes up to you, like I was in a moment of, I need help. Mm -hmm. You have to get them to a meeting. Yeah. Because the meetings will change their lives. Because there's people in the room that know how to help them. Yeah. Now, like in my case, I was looking for people to help me that had no idea. Till this day, I can't call my my parents now and say, guys, I want to run to Atlantic City. They would think like, whoa, we're not the people that can help you. Right. But of course, they'll talk me off the ledge, but right. The right person to call is somebody in the program because they've been there. That's why the program is so vital because uh, it, 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 for me, it keeps me in line. Yeah. So how can someone find a meeting? Uh, they could call the hotline, 1-800-GAMBLER, okay. uh, or they could just Google search uh, okay. a meeting. And there's meetings everywhere. That's the beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Meetings all across Jersey, uh, South, North, Central. Uh, there's meetings in New York City. I know a lot of members that go to my room in Nutley, but work in the city and have moments where they need a meeting and they'll go to a meeting in the city. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, um, that's a way to kind of get the ball rolling to living a good life is, is getting involved. That's amazing. So what would you say is the most like beautiful redeeming part of your story because obviously you you're an amazing success story thank you uh my life now mm. is just unbelievable uh, i mean everything that i have today is a miracle really mm. my spiritual faith uh my belief in god i was i used to pray to god that certain bets would hit mm. and that was disgusting it's just, you can't ask for certain things like that but 
I'll never forget. I prayed to God and I said, God, please get me out of this. I can't mm-hmm. do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, that prayer came true because Charlotte came and rescued me. Yeah. She put me into the place that I needed to be. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing is that when I was gambling, I wanted a nice car or I wanted uh, my own place or I wanted to see the world. And I never got that mm. but in recovery and in such a quick turnaround. I got everything. I got a home. I went, I've seen the world uh, mm. with the help of Charlotte, of course, but uh, we bought a home. I, I was once homeless, but yeah. now I have a house. It's, it's just like, it's mind blowing. That's why my faith is so strong in God mm-hmm. because early on in the meetings, people would say like, I don't believe in luck. I believe in God. Mm. And that I, w- I heard that once. And I said, that's my story mm. because I did pray to God and he came true. So it's just, it's a miracle that I'm at the point I'm at today. And it's fulfilling to, to go to meetings and help people and talk to them and provide yeah. the comfort because you see some real pain. Yeah. People come in, people, when they come into their first meeting, they're not skipping in. They're not whistling. They're coming in bruised, beat up, dejected, Mm -hmm. suicidal. So to be able to be there and comfort them and let them know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. If you stay connected, if you, you know, are open-minded and willing, Mm -hmm. you know, your life will turn around. So there's just, it's, there's so much hope in those rooms. Yeah, that's beautiful. That really is. I wish people could see like the video of this because you had such a huge smile on your face as you were saying all that. It's obvious that you feel light, you know, like, and that you, you obviously feel free from this, you know? And I think that that's really, really cool how this program has, has changed you, how Charlotte saved you, how God came into your life and saved you. Like, I think it's just a really, really beautiful redemptive story. Thank you. So we do want to know a little bit about you people. You know, we've heard your story, but we like to know just like some fun facts about our guests too. So <laughs> I know like, obviously gambling used to take up a lot of your time, right? That was kind of like your hobby. So what do you fill your time with now? Like, what are your hobbies? It's funny because when I was gambling, I still would go to the gym. I would still try to do things, but of course you, you hit it on the head. It was basically so front and center. It took up so much of my time. Now meetings take up a lot of my time. I mean, I I love the one meeting a week, but I love multiple meetings too. I love being able to be there for members and um, just uh, help as much as I can. Uh, But I like to, I love playing sports lately. Tennis has been great. We've uh, assembled a nice group of people to play. Uh, Charlotte's family loves to play. Everybody's so competitive. And oh, they are a competitive group. The Tucci's, they will win. Yeah. They're but amazing. It, They're I so love good. playing with people that want to win because I'm the same way. I like playing to win and I it's great. It. That's awesome. And you guys are travelers. Yeah. You guys went on an amazing trip to Africa, right? Yeah. We went to, uh, Kenya. Uh, well, we went on our honeymoon to South Africa. Oh. So, uh, Charlotte saw a window in January to go to Kenya. She didn't want things to kind of close up completely. And Kenya was letting people in during COVID. So we were able to go and have fun 
Uh, it was a great trip and yeah, it's all blessings from the Lord. Oh yeah. I mean, the pictures I saw from your trip were like amazing. So, <laughs> so cool. How about like TV shows? Do you guys watch TV together, you and Charlotte? Or are you like not into TV? I'm not that much into TV. I mean, she likes, she'll kind of get me suckered into a couple of shows like 90 Day Fiance. I find myself. Oh my gosh. My yeah. sister and brother-in-law were just like, no, literally like you will love the show. Like yeah. if you love stupid stuff like The Housewives and The Bachelor, like you will literally love the show. It's going to change your life. So that is on my list. Yeah, it's it's a kind of show that once you're watching, it's hard to break away from. So <laughs> it's like watching a car wreck, I'm sure. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, Andrew, seriously, thank you so much for doing this. I think that your story is incredible. I think it can help so many people whether it's like from the specifics of the gambling side of it, or just in general, just addiction in general. I think that everybody has some kind of experience with that, whether it be personally or with a loved one or a friend, whatever, you name it. So I just think that your story was really powerful, really incredible. Just thank you so much for being here with us. For sure. I mean, thank you for having me. And I mean, I'm willing to help anybody. If there's anybody that hears this and wants to talk and, and needs to be pointed in the right direction or just just wants to talk about anything addict, uh, addicting, uh, addiction related, I should say, I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm open and willing to uh, speaking to anybody. How about we put your email address in the show notes? For sure. Yeah, it's my right. name at Gmail. It's easy enough. Perfect. Then people can hit you up. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to like and subscribe right now before you go. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for our next episode. You can catch So What Else anywhere you get your podcasts or at CaitlinElliott.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Artwork by Caroline Chicola and editing and everything else by Scott Elliott. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.